You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Matthew, the book of Matthew. I expect this, we're going to go through this book and I expect it's probably going to take us into early next year. Um, really excited um, by the fact that we can uh, kind of stop after the information heavy vision series of the last three weeks and just go through a book together, scripture by scripture, exegesing, looking at what uh, the writer of Matthew is trying to say and taking the challenges out of that. Very excited about this. We are skipping Christmas, the story, because we'll cover that at Christmas. And we are skipping the genealogy because Neil's going to cover that in a couple of weeks. So we're starting in Matthew chapter 3, probably like the third story in the New Testament. It's kind of the third interaction. After Christmas, after the genealogy, there's this story So very important to setting up the whole New Testament, let alone the book of Matthew. And I'm hoping this series brings a bit of stability to the preaching and a bit of stability to us, just we know what's coming next week and we can be reading, we can be prepared. Don't make church the first time you've opened the Bible for the week. Don't make the only time you're studying these scriptures, um, make it through me, especially with my rate of speed and sometimes having trouble understanding me, then it's your whole Christian walk is going to be out for the week if you haven't had a chance to take notes, read the scripture. And, so, and that's the other thing. I encourage us to bring notebooks and take notes so that we can chew on this, we can reflect on this during the week and really ask God, what are you saying to me? Is that okay? That's a bit of a challenge as we go through this book. Be prepared. Let me start here in Matthew 3. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. It's just a little long, a long John. In those days. Yep, keep going through. There we go. Three words mean a lot. In those days, unpacks an entire world, unpacks an entire culture. Before we even start the story, in those days means something. It's not today. It doesn't say in 2017. It says in those days. What is happening in that culture at the time sets up the whole book. In those days. Let me give you a little bit of background to what in those days means. 500 years before, there's this prophet, Malachi. He's the last person that God uses to speak through for 500 years. In fact, he's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi comes, goes, God is sort of silent, or is silent, for 500 years. And what does Malachi say before he kind of leaves them to their own devices? Well, they've got the land back, but it's full of corruption. It's full of different teaching. They're confused. 
And so he says two warnings. Let me read Malachi 4, 1 to 2. He's, and a couple of things, the last words of the Old Testament. He says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when it's working, with all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, said the Lord of hosts, so that will leave them neither root nor branch. And then he finishes in verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord coming. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi, the last words of the Old Testament gives them a warning. Someone's coming and for the good it's going to be good. For those that have built, lost their ways, grown things that are not from God, kind of what we've been talking about the last three weeks, they're not going to like what he's going to say. The second thing he says, someone will come before him. It's not actually Elijah, it's the Elijah. So the, the person before the Messiah. 500 years start and God goes silent. What do you think they're saying for 500 years? As they wait, as they sit around the family table, generations, and they go, my father's father told me that there's this Messiah coming. My father's father told me that there's this hope coming, there's this judgment coming. And they tell these stories around their table. And I guess they would guess who's going to come. Where are they going to come from? They'd probably look at the Pharisees. Say they'd probably come from the temple. They'd probably be the church leaders, the church elders. And I kind of make up a description in their head and they'll all be watching for this day of the Lord to come, for him to speak again. Quick little story. Some of you will know I'm a, the university chaplain at Griffith University. And in my first year there as a chaplain, I um, went to a chaplaincy conference in Melbourne. And uh, I was excited. And I got off the plane, I'm in Melbourne, and I was told to meet someone at the taxi cab. And what I didn't do is look at, um, actually find out and get the number of the person I was meeting there. Didn't think about it till I'm, very clever of me, didn't think about it till I'm in Melbourne Airport. That's okay, we have phones, get out my phone. I've been playing games the whole plane trip, it's flat. That's okay. Because I consider myself a bit of a mentalist. If you've seen, the, oh, pretty clever guy, I think to myself. I'll figure it out. Does anyone, anyone watch a mentalist? Yes, you know, I'm pretty clear, I'll figure this out and I'll find out. And the taxi cab, how big can Melbourne's airport taxi cab be? <laughs> Turns out it's about a K long. No, no, no. But anyway, I'm the mentalist. I'm clever, clever guy. And so I look around and I think, what does a chaplain look like? And I think of school chaplains. And I see this guy with a hat on, not quite straight. He's got a graphic tee and he's got some sneakers and jeans. He's looking kind of cool and he's looking around. I go, I've mentalist in him. 
I know who he is. So I go up, and the guy's called Zach. And I go, Zach. It's not Zach. That's okay. I'm a mentalist. Well, I think I am at this stage. It was, what, it was when I was on TV, and I was, me and Mez were big fans. And I think, okay, maybe university chaplains are more prestigious. It's a university. So I see this guy, a little thin on top, glasses, well-dressed, leather, um, leather bag, education. Looks like he's from the university. I've gone down the wrong track. I've, I've figured it out. Go up to him, Zach. It's not Zach. It's not Zach. Anyway, I had to go buy a phone charger, plug it in, call Zach, and uh, it's a short Scottish guy with a big beard, looks nothing like what I envisioned a chaplain to be. And we do this right. We box things in. We think this is the way it's meant to be, right? We do this all the time. Does anybody else do that? We do this. I reckon for 500 years they would speculate, they'd have this image of what the Elijah character will look like. Religious, probably a Pharisee the keepers of the word, from the temple, powerful in, in these type of, in, in a celebrity. Who would you look for? Where would you be looking? Then comes John the Baptist, the Elijah. And he is not what they expected. He's not what I would expect. And I... I don't know everybody here, but I guarantee it's probably what not most of us would expect for the first person to hear from God after 500 years. Here's some description about John. First name John, last name Baptist, middle name the. John the Baptist. All right, come on. All right, we're not feeling very... Because that was funny, I thought. Anyway, no, that's just... A, obviously not. Um, it was a description. He's a Baptist, because he baptises everybody. John the Baptist. Don't know his last name, don't know his middle name, but his name's John, like 80% of this church seems to be. His name was John, it seems. It says he wore a garment of camel's hair. He wears animal skin, comes out of the wilderness, eats bugs and honey. Most scholars believe he's of the Nazarite order which is, um, kind of comes from Samson. And so it means you, what you could do, you could go to the temple and take a Nazarite oath. And you could do it for a short time. And you'd say, I'm not going to cut my hair. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I won't go near the dead. And I'll live in this community in the wilderness for a short time. Or for your whole life. So they believe John was living out that order his whole life. So out of the wilderness comes this guy, animal's clothing, probably smells eats grasshoppers and honey, long hair, doesn't drink, doesn't partake in certain things. We know he can teach because he's baptising, he's powerful, and we know he's important because they actually go to him later on. They actually go into the wilderness to find this guy. Either way, he's a weird dude. He's in the fringe of society. He's not who they were looking for. Guaranteed not who the world would have expected. And then what does he do? 
Not only is he not who they expect, not only is he not who I would choose in my human wisdom, what he does is so offensive. He goes up to the heroes of the time. He goes up to the church leaders of the time. He goes up to the elders of the time. He goes up to the people they were all looking at and he calls them a bucket of snakes. Seriously. A bu- like, he says it a bit different, but a bucket of snakes. Then he references the prophecy and says, you've wasted the last 500 years. You've grown all the wrong things. You might as well just be chopped down. Exactly what we've been speaking about the last three weeks. What are we going to grow as a church is important. Not only that, he says, forget the fact you've been around here a long time. Forget the fact that you have these promises. Forget the fact that you're the chosen people, the descendants of Abraham. I could turn, Jesus could turn stones into the descendants of Abraham, he says. He makes fun of the promise. Or he opens up the promise. If you know the story, and we'll cover the story of John, no wonder it doesn't end well for the guy comes out of the wilderness, one of the first things the New Testament says, and he has a go at the heroes, celebrities, the preachers, the church leaders of that time. And then he starts repenting, or getting people to repent, and baptising. And we'll cover that more next week. What can we take from this story? Let me share this morning two things that I was challenged with as I looked at this story. Matthew didn't accidentally start the New Testament with this story. Matthew had a reason he wanted to talk about this wild man, John the Baptist. Here's what I was challenged with. Two things. Number one. Just a little bit more ahead, John. A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. There we go. Number one, what I was challenged with as I reflected on this scripture, we don't get to tell God who or how he's going to speak to us. We don't get to tell God who or how he's going to speak to us. The theme of Matthew aligns very close to this point. In the coming months, you're going to see these weirdos these fringe people, these sinners, the defeated, the humble, the outcast, the wild man and woman who God is using to make his kingdom known. Matthew is writing an account for the Jewish people who are struggling with the Gentiles coming in, like we spoke about last week, and he's saying, let's look a little wider. Let's not box God in. And so he writes this book and shows the teachings of Jesus for these people. Let's look a little broader, he's saying. Let's not box God in on who he'll use. There's a reason he chooses this story. Don't box people in, but more importantly, don't box God in. Jesus himself is not what the religious expected. You'll see this. 
He's not what the experts thought the Messiah would be like. Yet he was the Messiah. He was the God-man. And he came into the mess of humanity and he rescued and redeemed us. And he saved us from the destruction. Amen? But he wasn't what they expected. We will see this as we explore this book. This is the account of Matthew, of this guy named Jesus, of this guy named John, their love for us and their love for those that are not always celebrated by the culture of the time. So I ask us in this series, don't just lightly consider this, but you're going to hear this a lot, don't box people in. Don't be so certain about the unessentials and people that you become unmovable, unshapeable, and ungrowable. Because as John says, the axe will just cut down the tree if it's not going to grow healthy fruit. I mean, just because your friends, even church friends, all agree with you, just because your circle of influence agree with you, doesn't mean you're right all the time, right? In fact, Tim Keller says this. He's a Presbyterian minister in New York. Love his work. Love this quote. It's up here in a moment. If God never disagrees with you, (laughs) you might just be worshipping an idealised version of yourself. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshipping an idealised version of yourself. If God and everyone in your life agrees with everything you do (laughs) and never challenges you, that's dangerous. I saw this picture this week and I found it fascinating. It'll come up. Does anyone know what Twitter is? (laughs) If you don't use it, that's okay. Twitter is social, social media and it gives you the chance to voice your opinion on certain things. Um, this is a graph of people's tweets. The red being the left politically and the right being the right politically. So as people tweet... And this could be any subject, actually, they've found. It could be dogs and cats. It could, be, it could be anything. What happens is, and people do this in the real world as well, they surround themselves with people that agree with them. And so when they say something like, they shouldn't have made this decision, everyone on their social media agrees with them and they think, I'm right. We do this in our own world too, and we do this in churches. This person... In the middle here goes, I think this. Everyone agrees with him. Everyone likes his post, shares it. Look at the ones that actually hear what the other person is saying. We're doing this more and more with social media. We live in a bubble. And we don't hear outside of it. So let me give you two practical pictures out of this story in Matthew, off the back of this challenge, that I think will help us Burst our bubble. Number one, or A, I'm going to call it, because I've already got a one and two. Meet wild people. Meet wild people. Doesn't mean I'm saying after church today we find someone that's eating bugs down at Burley Hill. That would be great. Guaranteed he's someone to talk to. It could be as simple as the challenge I set two weeks ago, which was to walk across the room here. 
Let me clarify the challenge in case you weren't here. Whether you're single, married, whatever you're, um, whether you're purple, old, young, middle-aged, whatever, no excuse, <laughs> please find the time, either in the coming weeks, to find someone else to, that you haven't really spoken to before and make a time to catch up with them. I gave the suggestion a couple of weeks ago that there's a lot of new people coming to our church, young and old. So if you're an existing person, catch up with a new person is probably the first step. What it will do, it means you actually get to meet people that are outside your bubble. It means that somebody gets to meet somebody else and hear how Jesus is working in their life. Or they might not understand Jesus. Perfect, even better. You get to explain that to them. Uh, John McGee, this week, was driving around and um, he's doing something at the back here and he saw me at the front on my phone. I pace when I'm on my phone. He pulled into the car park and he said, that challenge, he goes, I'll shout you some, well, I'm not drinking coffee at the moment, so he said, I'll, I'll shout you some banana toast. We had a chat about photography. Did we, dis- did we discuss deep theological truths that week? No. We're getting to know each other. We will. We'll ask each other in coming weeks, what's God saying? What are you doing about it? But I'm getting to know each other. It's that, it's that hard and that simple at the same time. Meet wild people. Church, please get to know people outside your comfort zone. You'll be encouraged, amazed and challenged by what God is doing in each, li- each of your lives. B, spend some time in the wilderness. What I mean by that is, Just like I'm not talking the extreme, you don't have to go find someone eating locusts in the bush in Burley Hill. You don't have to go for a 40k run up the mountain, Mount Warning, and and go out there. Just find some time outside of your bubble. Find some time away from the noise and the chaos of life as Jesus practised constantly. It says he retreated to lonely places. People came to the wilderness to go find John. Get away from the opinions for a second and ask God what his opinion is. Meet wild people, spend time in the wilderness. If you're taking notes, please be challenged with that. They're not my ideas. You're going to see this constantly in the book of Matthew. It's not Steve's good opinion, (laughs) it's the Gospel of Matthew constantly reminding us to do these two things. The second challenge I had as I finished this morning, if number one, we don't get to tell God how he's going to speak to us, then number two is we don't get to tell God that he can't use us. We don't get to tell God that he can't use us. Let me share a story with you. Teenage Steve. Um, I I love music. As a musician, and um, I got to run the youth group band at my old church. This is when I was a teenager. And I'd watch the church band at the time, and I would think, um, by the way, the people I'm speaking don't, aren't even around anymore in, in the sense of the Gold Coast, so don't try to guess if you know Southport or you know the church I used to go to. But I remember asking, sitting down with the, one of the pastors there at the time, and I said, do you think I could learn to lead worship? Um, I was pretty mature at the time. 
So I wasn't asking to do it that week, but I was asking eventually. And they said, no. No, 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 you just keep playing bass. I was playing bass for the church for about seven years. Just be on the bass. Um, that's where you are. That week we got to practice. He did, this person did say, um, I guess you could try to give ideas sometimes or try to speak up a bit more. Or make sure you're turning up to practice on time. Fair enough. So I got there that week and turned up to practice and I had an idea came to me. And the details aren't important, but it was a counter melody. I wanted one of the singers to sing another melody over the top. It wasn't actually that great of an idea, but I was like, I'm going to share this with that person. This person said, you're so funny, Steve, and they laughed at me. Um, and everyone laughed at me. Um, actually, not everyone laughed at me. This individual who was the team leader laughed at my face. Even feel a bit hurt now. It's funny how things can define you, can stay with you. Silly thing. As I look back, it wasn't even a major thing. But in my life as a Christian kid, it wasn't long after I stopped being in a band, pursued my own music. It wasn't long after I stopped sort of coming to church for a season. Um, Immature response, but as a teenage kid, it defined me. The reason I tell you that story is you might have a story like that from church. Not even from church, from anywhere. Where someone said, you're, a, you're no good at this. You can't do this. You're too wild. You're too much of a sinner. You're too, and they've boxed you in and it hurts and it's probably, like me, still stings. But we don't get to tell God that he can't use us. This book of Matthew, you're going to find out as we read together, is about God using people that everyone else said God couldn't. This book is about Jesus using and calling people that everyone else said the Messiah wouldn't use. The person of Matthew who they believe is Levi, the tax collector, whose name is changed later on to Matthew, was called from Jesus to be a disciple while he was a tax collector. If you don't know the cultural surrounding of that, a tax collector was hated by his own people. He worked for the enemy, he stole from his people, and he's a tax collector. In general, they're still disliked. Sorry, anyone in that setting, but they're still pretty just like, no one likes paying tax, but especially when the person taking a tax is oppressing your people. He's hated. And Jesus calls him to be one of the 12. And he ends up writing the first gospel of the New Testament. No wonder his whole book and story of Jesus highlights Jesus using people that others said could never be used. Yet he was called by Jesus. You might have a story like me. You might feel too wild, too weird, too broken, too hurt, too old, too young, too middle down the age range, whatever you feel. But Jesus shows us time after time after time again, I can work with that, he says. More than that, I actually want to work with that. More than that, 
I died so that that person can have relationship and I can work with that. Burley Church, we don't get to tell God who or how he's going to speak to us and we don't get to tell God that he can't use us. In the coming months, I'm excited to go through this book with us. Um, Please take notes. Please discuss more than the lighter things. Find someone. Walk across the rooms. Find someone that's a little wild compared to you. A little different compared to you. Move out of your comfort zone. Share your weaknesses. Share your stories. And watch God use that. Watch God dig deep roots in this church. Watch God bring out the giftings in this church and watch the wildest people in this church be used by God in big, massive ways.